but also points for at one point she's name dropping all these people who are invited to a party. She's like Tom Selleck, Oprah, Babs, and then puts in brackets Barbara Streisand. Like, (laughs) we got it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I'm also a entertainment reporter and talk show host in Canada. And I am currently really into Miley Cyrus's new album. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer, and I have discovered that recording this podcast is the longest I sit up straight all week, and I'm out (laughs) of practice. On this episode, it's time. It's Mimi time. Finally, because it's her month, we are diving into the meaning of Mariah Carey. And there was a new frontier breached this weekend on both Big Mouth and SNL. They addressed people who bleed in very kind of groundbreaking ways. We are taking a look at the pros and cons of each and what it means on your screen. This is Show Your Work. Uh, So yet another thing that I've never asked you in like however many years uh, how open are you to me, like tinfoil hatting it? Uh, like, can I bring that to this platform? Um, if I have a possibly like pseudo tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, what are you thinking? You had a little bit of one a few months ago. What was I, it? Which I which surprised me. Which goes to show you how insidious these things are. The Wayfair thing. Oh God, I was I was. <laughs> look, there's. I did not think Wayfair was shipping children in boxes. I did think that somebody was capitalizing on like QAnon shit with their titling because you know that that's some intern's job to title things. Um, Anyway, that's the darkest fucking timeline. My conspiracy (laughs) theory today is is much more uh, is much more lighthearted sort of. But here's my serious question. How much do you think that, like, governments who have this infrastructure are secretly slipping a fuckload of money to the entertainment industry? Without a big amount of publicizing it or whatever, if I'm, okay, not the U.S., but you know what I'm saying. If I'm, well, yeah, anywhere where I have, you know, a discretionary cultural budget or whatever, I am dumping everything possible at Netflix and Apple and whomever else just going, keep them entertained. Don't let them look up. Um, And, you know, obviously you can't publicize that for reasons, but like, can't you see like Australia and Britain and Canada and the U S and like South Korea all on the phone being like, what do you got? I, we are going to release the crown and then there's this. Okay, wait, wait, Canada. Can you wait on that till January 10th so that people are done with the crown first? And Right? I believe it in like South Korea, China, whatever, for sure. 100%. I believe that it, they don't even have to hide it in some places, that it is in the budget um, and that that is happening. And it's that budgetary item that was like, fought by maybe the oppositional parties is now from the like from the parties in power they're going ha 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 told you so told you we needed this don't fucking block our bankrolling of whatever the culture the culture budget well like look no no disrespect but i think that it's probably a lot of funding that might otherwise go to like the ballet and the orchestras um, you know, that they're like, just keep the people placid at home. 
Just like keep the sh- entertainment coming. Like uh, there's a reason that there's a, a cannabis store on every corner now too. They're just like, keep mm-hmm. the people happy. What do you need? You're right about that. Like every time I go for a walk on the weekends, Yasik and I will walk by a place and we'd be like, what the fuck is that? And it's a new cannabis store. There are like, God, if I were to count between my house and yours, there are like maybe eight. It's bananas. There are at least three within, let's call it a 15 minute walk that is like new ones, a 15 minute walk from my place in like any direction. Yeah. No, they're like corner stores. Like I can, at the top of my street, I can go left or right and in two minutes, either direction, be at a weed store. Um, So yeah, I think uh, they're just like, keep them calm. Everybody's going to freak out about the holidays. Just keep them indoors, please. Thank you. Well, and it's also in the past, you know, your weed store, your vape store attendant would be like, whatever, in my experience of the hacky sack mold, right? (laughs) I actually think hacky sack is a different subtype than a than a weed store uh, proprietor, but I get whatever you know what I, I, I mean. get what you're going for. Yes, and then the last two I walked by, it's like a nightclub now. Of course. So so there's someone like an attendant, and it looks like this is the best club you want to go to on a Saturday night when people went to clubs. The person is beautiful. Uh, oh, they're always like a beautiful. Model. Yeah. And, and that is like, it's amazing to me how the staffing has changed from what it used to be, like your image of what a cannabis store looked like. It's amazing. Well, and it's and, all- and in fact, they're so beautiful that you're intimidated. Like, I almost want to say to them, get the hacky sack people back because I'm like, when someone is that beautiful standing at the door, I don't want to go in. But I think that that is, I think that's actually a real interesting point. Not that I expected to go here because part of the whole thing of all these beautiful uh, cannabis stores that look like they were designed by like goop, right, is to destigmatize it so people aren't scared who might have been scared, yeah. right? Like if you wouldn't yes. have gone into a shop called The Friendly Stranger, you might go into yes. a shop called uh, whatever, you know, like Bountiful or whatever they are. Um, so yeah, they're spending a lot of money on, uh, imagery, which reminds me of, I don't know if I swinging way opposite, like way over to the other end of the spectrum where it's almost like a pretty woman situation where, you know, there's nothing here for you. Totally. It's the (laughs) exact opposite. Everything in there is for me. Uh, There's a pot shop for you, but also like that. I thought you were meant like they're going way opposite. Like. Everywhere else is like storefronts. Who needs them? Everything's virtual. And every cannabis store is like, actually, how about you open, uh, you know, like, come on, stroll into your friendly neighborhood corner store. That's really interesting because I only walk by them, but I still do my ordering online. Well, so funny story. I went to uh, a shop that was doing like curbside pickup. Um, and then for reasons, it wound up being inside pickup as opposed to curbside. But anyway, I'm in there. And uh, as you say, there are beautiful people working the the desk, you know. And there was another yeah. customer in there, a woman who was probably in her like mid-60s maybe. Uh, and she was, because we're talking about like, you know, subtypes and whatnot. She was like of the hiking variety, right? Like she was wearing a puffy vest. Uh, anyway, she's marveling at how beautiful all this stuff is and so forth. And then she says to the very kind people behind the, behind the desk, um, she goes, uh, this is just wonderful. I want to show my friend, do you guys have a card? And they looked at her with like polite, terrible smiles, like a card lady, a card. So that was kind of cute. You know what, though? If you're going to have a bricks and mortar storefront, you should have a card or a flyer or a menu or whatever. But those are expensive, all that printing stuff. And most people hate them. Right? Most people hate cards? Yeah. I just think that, like, if you have a place where people walk in, you can't be guaranteed that they're going to walk out with something. They always have to think about something. 
But when's the last time? time. When's the last time you were happy to take a card or a menu or whatever from somewhere? Back in the old times, I would take menus all the time. Oh, seriously? I'm that person. No. I'm a grandmother. Yes. You just take a picture of the storefront so you remember what it's called and then you go home and look it up. Because I have a drawer. I like to put things in that drawer. Yeah, but you don't actually open the drawer when you want to order food, right? You just- it doesn't matter, Duanna, if I don't open the drawer. The drawer is there. I put things in the drawer. <laughs> so it's just a souvenir stand then is what you're saying. Correct. But you, your question is, do you take the flyer or the card? And I say yes. If your question is, do I end up using it after I take it? That would be no, but I still take it. Okay. Uh, I mean, I you find it harder to find on my phone. I like that we are doing like a bit of an amateur economics class here. And you've clearly demonstrated like the power of the free <laughs> giveaway. If you have a menu with like ideally with a combo oh, yeah. meal on it, you are a fan for life. Yes. You love them. Yes, I am my mother's daughter. Amazing. All right. It is the season, the season that belongs to one entertainer. We've all conceded. It's not even a concession. It's a happy volunteering of acceptance that this month is owned by Mariah Carey, which is why after we got a little bit delayed on reading her book, The Meaning of Mariah Carey, we were like, well, we might as well just wait until December because the reasons I just cited. Yeah, that's one reason. And the other? (laughs) I mean, you know, maybe maybe this is just me, but... uh... Uh, you know, I, I very much appreciate the people who emailed us and were like, Hey, I read that book. Where are you guys? Uh, but I would have also understood if there were a lot of emails from all of you going, Hey, I tried reading that book and was like, Nope. Um, I, this was a different reading experience than I was expecting. Did you audio it at all? No, I read it. Um, okay. Did you audio it? I read half and audioed the rest. Well, okay. So where did you, okay. Um, that's interesting. And I've definitely heard people say, uh, you know, the audio, did you enjoy the audio book separately from whatever else? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, and which parts, because my feeling is this, I would say the book is written weirdly enough that, uh, I mean, obviously there's a co-writer ghostwriter and yet clearly not uh, doing a whole lot of editing in there uh, at certain points, but there are at least three different distinct tones. So I feel as though there might've been parts where uh, it could have been exciting to listen to her, but I was wondering whether I felt, look, I'll stop being euphemistic. I found the first 40% of this book almost unreadable. Um, in terms of like, uh, one chapter ends, uh, that was the end of our Sundays. And soon it became every Sunday became a month of Sundays. And I had to abandon our Sundays so I could find my place in the sun on a day. Like I'm paraphrasing, but not by a lot. It's yeah. I, every chapter and every section ends on what she would consider a cliffhanger, like, you know, um, or a dot, 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 but it was no longer for me. I needed to get out. Oh, but see, I didn't find them cliff. Here's the thing. Let me just lay it out here. I found it to be the most insufferable type of grade 11 writing that thinks it's impressive. Um, and I did a whole bunch of screen capping. Uh, to like articulate my point, but now I'm looking at you on my, uh, on my phone, so I can't go and get my screen caps, but it was a fucking lot that was overwrought and overly, uh, like that thing where, you know, and I suspect you and I have both been, uh, have both been accused of this at times of like, you don't need that many, three dollar words. You don't need to be quite that flowery. I just found it exhausting. I didn't mind it as much. I agree. I don't think that it is in certain parts. I do think that when the writer's voice, Michaela Angela Davis, yeah. um, when the writer is writing, of course, the writing I think is much more tolerable, um, even good. 
But when it's clear that Mariah had a hand in crafting a certain particular paragraph, it is what you're describing. I didn't mind the overwrought because that's probably because I listened to a lot of it Mm -hmm. and that's just the way I want to hear her. But truth or dare, did you start to listen to it because you couldn't read it anymore? Yes. Thank you. Why did you make me have to work for that? Thank you. Yeah. It was, it's a lot. So- the minute you switch over to the audio and she's saying all these things, it's like, yes, bring it on more, more, more. Ha ha. Like, right. okay, there she is. I know who you are. This is exactly how I would like you to read me your life story. Amazing. Right. And then in the same context, uh, you know, I found there was a real turning point in, in the book. Here, I found a clip of what I'm talking about. She's talking about how when she was poor in New York, she only had this one pair of shoes, right? So she right. writes. The boots. Yeah. At some point, the top of the shoe separated from the rubber sole, creating a flap that would slap the unforgiving city pavement as I pounded towards my destiny. <sighs> as, but that is her. As of course I, she would describe it that way. Yeah, but like it's but I don't mind that if it's kind of camp and over the top, but it's also sometimes like it's also sometimes being used to describe like how she feels about salad. I don't know. Um, here's a story about her mother, but ours is a story of betrayal and beauty, of love and abandonment, of sacrifice and survival. I've emancipated myself from bondage several times, but there is a cloud of sadness that I suspect will always hang over me, not simply because of my mother, but because of our complicated journey together. Like, and I hear you about, like, that's her, that's who she is, but also, can we not, like, that's, like, in the middle of a page in a paragraph. That's not a chapter (laughs) ender. It's a lot. It is a lot. Um, That said, I found that the book and the narrative and the pace and everything picks up a ton once Tommy Mottola comes on stage. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yeah. There is one part before Tommy Matola, just before he comes on the scene, when she's talking about the, and I wish maybe we had an extra chapter on this, but like um, the work of backup singing. I mean, fucking that's a story that we, I, I, I would have been like, oh yeah, and how, you know, the backup singers took her in, how the steady gigging of backup singing works. I loved that part. It really only amounted to maybe three or four pages. That was before. I I was going to say sentences, three or four sentences, but like, (laughs) yeah, yes. But yeah, I wanted more of that. I I don't disagree with you. Any of that would have been great. Like, look, this is, if you didn't read, this is the major problem with the book. She just, you know, she's talking about girls who are mean to her in grade seven. And then all of a sudden she's like, anyway, I was singing on demos all the time in high school. And you're like, what? When? How? Or she'll say, you know, and uh, this happens, but all of you already know that story. So I won't talk about that. There's a lot of inside jokes. There's a lot of um, references to things that never come to pass. Uh, You know, at one point she infers early on in the book, uh, oh, but my family always had their hand out for money. And and she says, but I'll get to that later. And I'm like, okay, that'll be interesting. And when she quote unquote gets to it, it is such a convoluted ass story. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a, and, and it's so specific and I'm like yeah but let's just hear about like who all had their hands out so that you could buy them a car or whatever like it would have it would have been great to be escorted through a little more no I agree and I don't necessarily think that um I think she I wonder if she approached it like songwriting where you don't have to walk through like the mechanics of a moment. Um, Having said that, there are a lot of details that were left on the table or that seemed scattered. I do think that there were some valuable and powerful takeaways, at least for me. I have one. um, And I very like 
proudly thought of it. And then it was there on the page afterwards. So there's that. But uh, but you start. Tell me about one that you really liked. Well, I hate to focus on this because I think in, you know, obviously in a way it's it's terribly tragic. It's sad. It's an illness. But it made me think about when Mariah talks about her mental illness diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how it was portrayed and how we talk about it, how she was encouraged or discouraged to talk about it. It made me think about the ongoing conversation where we have been having, but hopefully we can have it a lot more, about the relationship between, and I'm not saying that this is, um, it should be encouraged. I actually think it's quite damaging, and yet it's a fact that it's talked about it this way. The relationship between genius and mental illness, but the grace that is given to men over women. I, yeah. Uh, Yeah, you know, that's very interesting in the sense that, um, you know, she's just that little bit, there's a lot of time devoted to uh, the late 80s and the early 90s was really her sort of um, cultural peak, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, when you're having the greatest impact and you're in it. Um, and the messaging for, as we know, for mental health then was non-existent, first of all. And it was also like one fuck up and you're done there. It was very much a culture in that time of, oh, that person, ooh, they had a, they had an escapade. They had an issue. The end. She points that out actually at one point in the book that now, if anybody has a moment, an issue, uh, a slip up in the press, it's 24 hours and then it's handled. But that back then, uh, because the news cycles were different, that it just kind of went on and on and on and on and on. Um, I, I, where men are concerned, it's not that I disagree with you at all, but I'm trying to think of, did I miss her comparing herself to anybody? She didn't, and she doesn't make that leap. Like, she doesn't make that, She again, to your point, she doesn't pound that point home in a way that you can say, oh, she's offering us a meditation here on yet another layer of misogyny or inequality with how much grace men, female, or male artists are given over female artists. But I think that, for pop culture enthusiasts, if you look at her example and what happened to her and like Britney Spears too, comparatively to male rockers and those who um, suffer from addiction and have experienced, uh, you know, the mental health that, that follows substance abuse disorders, all of that, there is something to, and even in not outside of artistic industries, like, um, I mean, think of like tech industries, think of like Steve Jobs or whatever. There is a way that we talk about difficult and um, this, is a, this is a shitty word that's been called out, but at the time, even damaged uh, people as when it's women, it's, oh, fuck, that's a fuck of a lot. With the men, it's something that you put up with in exchange for the genius. But this is what, this is how we're going to get that great work. That's right. They're complicated, but it's worth it, right? That's right. As opposed to, ugh, she's a pain in the ass, or she's a lot, or whatever. I think the comparison to Britney is quite apt. I kept thinking about Britney because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the details are a little different in terms of being married to your guru as opposed to being born to your guru, but it yeah. feels a lot the same, right? The parts where Mariah Carey talks about, uh, she refers to her house as uh, Sing Sing uh, because it was near Sing Sing prison. Uh, And, you know, the really, really, she spends a lot of time on the abuse and control of Tommy Mottola. And yet I got the distinct impression that uh, it was just barely scraping the surface, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I agree. when you said that you could tell the parts where uh, her co-writer was writing, uh, I suspected that was because uh, 
he's litigious as fuck, right? So those are the sections that are combed over and combed over to make sure mm-hmm. that you're not uh, saying anything that can't be corroborated. Um, but yeah, the, that's all. I kept getting those Britney images of like, I'm trapped. I'm out of town. I'm nowhere near friends or young people or anything. And I'm just sort of like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing. That was, yeah. that was pretty heartbreaking. And then that relationship to her genius, like to her skill, um, that relationship with how we see her in the industry. 100%, I agree. That statistic, like she has the most number ones and all of that is definitely out there. But I don't know that we talk about Mariah Carey um, in the, with the same songwriter gravitas and respect that we do so many other artists, men and women. I agree with you, but I'm not sure that's not justified. And the reason why is, uh, in, is in this book. Um, there's a lot of scenes. She loves to print lyrics, right? She loves to tell you about a scenario in her life and then print a couple verses of lyrics that she wrote that relate to it. Or she sings it to you in the book. Right. Of course. Um, (laughs) But there's a lot of, anyway, I was just lying in the bath and then this song came to me fully formed. Uh-huh. Uh, or um, I, you know, I knew from the age of 14 that my songs were valuable. I wouldn't give them up. She does not craft an image of herself as somebody who is hardworking. That I agree with. And I wonder, like, that is one of my takeaways. Like, what I want to sort of, you know, talk about or at least mention in our conversation, why is it that she doesn't consider it sexy? And, you know, with Mariah Carey, that's also a loaded word. Why is it that she doesn't consider it sexy and interesting to tell us how much work she put into writing these melodies? Like, uh, arguably one of the most famous melodies of all time. We all know the song of this time of year. Right. Like, Forever we will know this. And it takes something. But the thing is, she seems also to be either enamored or romanticized or conditioned by that idea of like the angel of inspiration that we talk about, rather than just being like, yeah, fucking how many hours did you spend in the studio, bitch, getting it right? Right. And so look, this was my biggest takeaway. It kind of relates to this, the whole thing. I... As I said, I had the most trouble with the first part of the book. Um, and it's because in particular, the stuff that she's writing about her childhood is like she's, you know, seven years old going, I vowed I was never going to be satisfied with dirty carpets like my mother was. Or, you know, I was going to be more important than whatever, whatever. I was never going to be a teen mom like my sister or etc. She thinks she's pretty fucking special. She thinks she's divine and anointed, and she never really doubts it. There's never a crisis of confidence. There's never a point where she's like, maybe I'm not it. And part of that is that she was gifted with an incredible instrument, right? Like Mariah Carey, if you took her and put her in in any other genre of music, she still has those five octaves. Um, she has a fucking incredible instrument. So that's part of the divination of it. I think she thinks she's an angel, right? She thinks she's God's gift. And so that it's her job just to continue bringing the gift. And I hated it in all of her stories that she was telling about her young life. It implied, even if she doesn't say it outright and she says it outright a lot is why were they treating me this way? I'm so special. I'm Mariah Carey. However, that same thing that made me annoyed in those early parts is absolutely definitively what has allowed her to become who she is, right? You need that unerring faith in yourself. You need to believe that you are God's gift if you're going to have 19 number ones or whatever it is. There's not a lot of sweaty 3 a.m. moments of, oh, God, did I do the right thing in the cut? Should I have done that video? She's always like, that song was great. 
I made great choices for that video. I this or that. There's no like, in retrospect, I really cringe. But you need that kind of almost singular focus in order to... Almost delusional, not quite, because it is a fact. But Elaine, like this is, speaking of people getting mad, but this goes back to the conversation about genius and madness and where they're intertwined and some of it is megalomania maybe you know um is yeah you have to believe that you are the best or have the potential to be the best you have to believe it because if you don't think that you would never try right if you think there are other people who are definitively going to be better than you there is so much infrastructure in the music business or fucking professional baseball or i don't know like gift making that if you don't think you can add something that nobody else can, you would never try. Right. So you need that megalomania. And also it's can be off putting on, uh, especially in a, in what are more domestic or prosaic scenes, right? Like there it's more off putting in the, I was a 10 year old girl laughing at my mother scenes than it is, you know, when she's doing, VH1 Divas Live or etc. Well, I mean, I don't know if there is an alignment between what I'm about to say and what you just said, but I listened to it and finished it concurrently with watching The Queen's Gambit. Aha. Yeah. And maybe one influenced the other, whatever. No, I can but see the where you're going. Gambit, the Queen's Gambit is also about God-given gift. Yes, absolutely. Genius. Of course, I would say that they had seven episodes to fill in that series, so they needed to take more time narratively to show us her working on her gift. But Beth Harmon, while she had that gift, there was a lot of time spent on, you know, even from a young age, she was smuggling magazines to study past matches to learn people's moves. Yeah. And also it's half studying and half addiction, right? I just want those people. Yes. And the closest we get to that in uh, Mariah Carey is her obsession with Marilyn Monroe. Um, And as a sidebar, that's not that much of a sidebar, actually. I put off and put off and put off the end of The Queen's Gambit because I didn't want it to be over. Um, I finished it. I loved it. And I immediately began reading the novel. And I am savoring every page. Like, I'm really going slow. Um, But it has... Now, it's a novel. It's fictional. There's a whole bunch of things. I have Anya Taylor-Joy in my head. But it has precisely in that novel, and even in the show, the moments of self-doubt, the moments where we're not sure it's going to be okay, that we're missing from this memoir. You know, we talk about many memoirs on this show. We talked about Jessica Simpson and so forth. And for example, she talks about how crushed she was not to get the the Mickey Mouse Club, right? Now we're reading this in 2020. We know it turns out okay, but I still felt that pathos. I still felt awful for her. Whereas uh, reading The Meaning of Mariah Carey, I didn't ever feel true... Uh, worry or angst for her that it wouldn't happen because every other sentence is like, it just seemed like it was happening. Big record companies were calling me. Anyway, I was holding out for somebody bigger. Um, And, you know, that can be selective storytelling for sure. It's just that's more for her benefit than it is for ours. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, when I was, listen, when I was reading it and watching Queen's Gambit, I actually saw similarities in fictional Beth and Mariah Carey because of this, like, 
again, as you said, unshakable confidence in oneself. Like Beth, like Mariah, is there has there's never any doubt for Beth that this is her thing. Yeah. That she's got it. Yes, absolutely. Where Beth doubts to me is when she can play top level, what she needs to be able to get to top level. Um, and that is, there is a synergy between that and certain artists, for example. I'm not talking about Mariah Carey, but we have heard about like, you've we've all heard those stories about artists who um, wrote or whatever performed certain classic songs when unfortunately they were using. Yeah. And unfortunately in the industry, and it may be less so now, but there was a time in the industry where in particular with like certain types of musicians, they were not discouraged from doing things that were harmful to their bodies because what they were producing in using things that were harmful to their bodies was so great. Of course. It's, it's, this is, yeah. The end justifies the means, right? And that's right. That, and that's, to be clear, that's coming from those who will profit off those means. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's who's speaking here. Oh yeah. And it is very much ingrained or was, I mean, we're getting away from that a little bit now in like the artistic community. It was very much ingrained that like that magic happens in those settings. And you can't really talk about it or it makes the magic go away. That's right. And it took a long time for a lot of artists to get away from that point. And some of them didn't. So the intersection of, of Beth and Mariah is there is that, we're talking about genius again. There is that weird space where every artist or chess genius has to decide what I'm going to choose to believe in. Yeah. And what else do I need? Right? Because that's the common thread. How talented are you? Supremely? Incredibly? Like astronomically? Okay. But for everyone, it runs dry sooner or later, right? Not that your talent runs out, which I think is what used to be the fear, but that you can't rely on the talent alone. You need other stuff. You need people around you if you're Beth Harmon. You need, uh, you know, some some freedom and some balance if you're Mariah Carey. You need, um, there's a great, you know, John Mulaney the other day, I don't know if you saw this. John Mulaney uh, is now writing for uh, The Late Show with Seth Meyers. And uh, if you don't know John Mulaney, this is like, he doesn't need to have that job per se. Um, he's, he could be Seth Meyers essentially. And so Jimmy Kimmel said to him, what's up with this? And he said, like, to be honest, my psychiatrist was like, yeah, you need daily structure. Uh, and I'm worried that you will not make it through the pandemic if you don't have it. Now that's a cute statement. Like when told to Kimmel, I'm sure it also has a lot of truth behind it and not just because I relate to it. Um, you know, there are people who need structure. There are people who need balance. There are people who need to be surrounded by people, not to be isolated. But sooner or later, the common thread is talent alone is not going to carry you the whole way. So I guess to close off my point, because I mean, I don't know that I succinctly or very articulately even, you know, made it, is that where I think the Queen's Gambit did a good job of, of, of portraying Beth genius and where Mariah Carey doesn't do a great job connecting the dots, doesn't do a great job connecting the dots, is that missing piece that you're talking about, Duanna, about you know, showing us self-doubt. Where does that come from? Where does that struggle come come from? I do think that her um, mental health is the source of of some of those doubts. I don't know that she's ready to acknowledge that. And I do think, again, for those of you who, yes, we need to be very sensitive and careful about how we talk about mental health and how we position it in the framework of like where it affects talent and creativity and whatnot. But I do really think that there may be a part of her that isn't, isn't there yet in terms of breaking that connection. 
yeah, I don't disagree with you. Or maybe uh, pulling away the illusion is the other way to go about it, right? Like she's not ready to be real. She has no interest in being real. And I get that that is half of the Mariah Carey mystique for sure. I, I totally understand that. But then I'm not super sure about what is the logic in writing uh, a memoir. Like that's the whole point of a memoir is to lay your shit bare kind of, right? I think for her, and that's the thing, I think laying shit bare is happening in different stages. In her mind, I think she's convinced herself that this is the barest she can, she, the barest she's been. Okay, but then where's the editor? Like, where's the book company being like, I know, I know that they say we'll take what we can get from Mariah Carey, but also, I I don't know, man. It just, it could have been more. um, And there have been many memoirs that are more. uh, And if you don't want to be that, then the other side of being that is usually um, the juicy tell-all. Right. And this isn't the juicy, gossipy tell all Mm -hmm. either. No. I mean, there's one or there's like a a nugget or two. Derek Jeter is the nugget. Eh, Yeah, that was fine. But she's like, but we didn't have sex, which I believe because it's such a weird detail. Like, why would you brag about not having sex with him? But um, it's still a weird detail. Um, Yeah, it's Remember I said like the flowery endings of of chapters are, are were particularly bothersome to me. Uh let me tell you about my favorite one, if I may. Uh there is a sequence where Mariah Carey is talking about uh she was uh presenting an award. Uh I want to say at the Grammys, but that's probably incorrect uh with Whitney Houston. And so she says Um, you know, there was a gag where we were actually going to show up in the same dress. Uh, fine, fine, fine. But lo and behold, though, actually Mariah Carey's dress, uh, didn't arrive on time. Um, like it actually was delayed in getting through, uh, I don't know, from the designer or so forth. So fine. And so she says, um, you know, ultimately the police had to like motorcade my dress through the streets so it could get there on time. And then, and I'm not exaggerating. I have a screen cap to prove this. Uh, and so she says, you know, they both wore the same dress. Uh, it arrived in the nick of time. The, the bit went fine. And she says that day, the police saved my one in a kind, one of a kind dress moment. If only someone could have saved our once-in-a-lifetime Whitney Houston. End of chapter. Now, make no mistake, it's not like she spent the whole chapter talking about the brilliance of Whitney Houston or what it was like to be, you know, coming up behind her or anything of the kind. The whole thing is about the dress, and that's how she... uh, I... Dude. So that's a name drop of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then arguably the best one, uh, is the one about the, uh, VH1 Divas Live. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Uh, uh so in the book, she's talking about how she was so excited to do VH1 Divas Live, but how obviously everybody knows that if you're singing with Aretha Franklin, especially if you're singing Natural Woman, which is how they close the show, you don't overshadow Aretha Franklin. And she very pointedly says one of the divas did not respect that. So what did I do? I went to YouTube. You looked it up. Obviously. And my favorite thing about the YouTube clip is not who it was, which I will reveal in a second, but that there is a comment thread that said, who else is here because of Mariah Carey's book? And then like a (laughs) hundred comments going, I'm on that page right now. I had to come here and look. I didn't know. I didn't do that. Like, I didn't go and look it up. Did you know? Did you just? I did. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm i not sure if it's as bad as she lets on. She's talking about Celine Dion, guys, as if you couldn't guess. She thinks Celine Dion uh, vocalized and aretha too much. So that's what that was. Um, but that's kind of it for, like, moments of juice in the book. Yes? Yes. 
I think that also, I mean, what she, I think that she thought, and she was right in this respect, that when she announced that she'd be writing a memoir, people would be like, oh my God, she's so shady. There was going to be tea all over the place. And she's like, I am going to, you know, upend expectations and give them something, quote, literary. <laughs> Before you roll your eyes, I hear you. Uh, but no, but right? I think you're exactly right. Yes, go on. Yes. She's like, I'm going to give them something literary. They want, they're, they think it's going to be just like J-Lo jobs, but I'm going to, you know, give them the story of the origin story and, and then turn it into a fairy tale. Because also remember, she's trapped in this. There's something very, you know, one of the reasons why you believe that she and Derek Jeter never had penetrative sex, as she says, we didn't have sex, and you believe it is, and said it was a weird detail, is because... Mariah Carey, despite the fact that she's always posturing sex, always seems to be playing sexy the way an eight-year-old who finds her mother's negligee and puts it on and pretends to be sexy. That's how she acts all the time. I'm just going to rephrase what you just said. Mariah Carey is actually quite sexless, has no actual, like, sexual energy. She has no BDE at all. Like no, no, there's no. And I actually think like talking about, you know, being okay with yourself or your whatever, revealing yourself. I actually think she's fine with that. I don't think that she sees that as a shortcoming in any way, shape or form. Oh, I think she's. I don't think so either. Fine with it. Which is, I totally agree. And that's kind of but the I next frontier, right? Like, I think it's still, there's still a thing where if you are a hetero cis woman, there's still supposed to be some sort of idea that you enjoy that part of yourself as opposed to being like, yeah, it's not for me. I also think that it's because so much of her, like her entire existence is based on fairy tales. Yeah, and if yeah. fairy tales are one thing, they are non-sexual. There is no heat. There is no sexual electricity tension. You don't read a fairy tale and like scream at the pages. I can't wait for them to bone. That is never a vibe in a fairy tale. No, and to your point, it's literally about the getting of the person. Uh, the actual living with the person is is like eh it's beside the point and probably not that great right like she loves to write about to your point about Derek Jeter she wrote like 30 pages about like the tension and the maybe of the hooking up and the maybe of the sneaking away um and then she's like anyway we kissed one time and some stuff like it's it's not that stuff is less interesting to her or she's like eh it didn't work out goodbye which I get on some level, the idea is, oh, I'm going to be classy and not discuss it. But it's not like she never says like, this is what I learned about myself in that relationship. It's all about the getting and the acquiring and the having of the suitor, not about the actual enjoying of the person. Because overall, again, she thinks she's amazing. But, and overall, the narrative is poor girl at the beginning lived in a a prison uh, had like, you know, mom, brother mean. So there's like your enemies, another enemy comes along and traps her in a castle. And then she broke free out of that castle and the end, right? Like it is structured like a fairy tale is supposed to be structured. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Um, But, uh, and, or, you know, she, she doesn't need anybody. Like there's no happily ever after. So I suppose that part is fine. That's kind of good, you know, but. Oh, no, no. The happily ever after is like, you know, again, she, I think what she was saying to herself and to the people who are helping her do this is the narrative structure of the fairy tale is, but instead of falling in love with the prince, it's her Carrie Bradshaw moment. Yeah, I I get it. The princess falls in love with the princess yeah, But it's, it's <laughs> you're being real <laughs> generous. I don't disagree that maybe she thought that that's what she was saying. I'm just saying I don't think it is accomplished in book form. And if if this was released only as an audiobook and it's like counter programming to like a master class, that would almost be like I would buy that. But I was like, eh. It's also like not everybody has to write a book. 
it is clear that she knows what she's doing and likes what she's doing when she gets into a studio, when she's songwriting and recording and whatnot. Yes. You don't have to write a book about it. You can just do that. You can just be there. I, I, I don't know. I, I felt, I feel like I know less almost, uh, than I did. Um, eh, I don't know, but also points for at one point she's name dropping all these people who are invited to a party. She's like Tom Selleck, Oprah, Babs, and then puts in brackets, Barbara Streisand. Like, (laughs) we got it. Like, if if we're there at all, then we got it. (laughs) Well, let us know what you thought. Let us know what you think about Mariah Carey not going there. Mariah Carey um, constructing her book like the way she lives her life, a fairy tale. Give us your special and make... Make it happen this month. It's her month. Let us know. And next, a topic that Mariah definitely would not approve of us talking about. <laughs> uh, periods and their moment in the last week in pop culture. Yeah, I mean, I expected to be honest with you, a little more cheering and cartwheels from you when I said that this was the topic I wanted to talk about. I really was expecting uh, a text full of exclamation points. I'm a little disappointed. You know what? It's because you had texted me before I was, I had watched Saturday Night Live this weekend. Um, And so, but you, 100%, periods are my favorite topic and I'm so happy we're talking about them in a work context. So yes, let's gush. Okay. I, that points (laughs) for that. I wasn't expecting that. I have to readjust now. Um, yeah, so it was just a weird, uh, kind of zeitgeisty moment on the weekend. Big Mouth dropped their season four, uh, episodes, uh, on Friday, uh, on Netflix. And then on Saturday, there was a similar kind of thing on Saturday Night Live. So, uh, if you don't know Big Mouth, it is an animated show about 12 year olds going through puberty. Uh, they have puberty monsters who usher them through it. Uh, it's Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, uh, uh, b- 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 Jesse Klein, Maya Rudolph, uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Jordan, 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 not Catalano. What is his name? Peel, Jordan Peel, um, Jenny Slate famously uh, played uh, Missy, plays Missy through most of this season, etc. Um, and it is. In case you're in doubt, it is not cute. It is not sweet. It is not for tweens. It is filthy. Um, and they've really publicized a lot that they were going to need to go there. There are dicks flapping around in every frame of this show. Uh, this season features a lot of Seth Rogen's balls. Don't ask, but also like you can picture it, right? Um, and so they were yeah. very open about wanting to be equal opportunity about uh, vaginas or vulvas, etc. Um, basically what happens on Friday, uh, or pardon me in season four of big mouth is that, uh, the Jesse character has an enormous, embarrassing giant period at camp. This is not a spoiler, uh, it's been publicized. Uh, and we see that up to and including her vagina, which is voiced by Kristen Wiig, um, covered in blood. Uh, and were you surprised when I sent you that image? Uh, yeah, I was surprised that they went there so graphically. Even if it's something that you're delighted by, like, oh my God, representation, yes. this is so exciting. It's startling at first. And there are even more graphic um, realisms that I will send, uh, that I'll, you know, censor for the sake of a podcast. Cause you may not know that this is where we're going, but like it goes for the full authentic experience. It was great. It feels correct and impressive and like topical and, and amazing. Right. And then well, from, yeah, like you're, I think that the accuracy there to your point, like everybody's going to point out the accurate thing that meant something to them, but it might not even be the vulva and the other graphic things. For me, it's like even the, the depiction of what it's like to do like what the tampon looks like. 
the applicator, not just the tampon, but the applicator. And not just what the applicator looks like on its own when you tear it out of the wrapper, but what the applicator looks like after. That's amazing. Yeah. And well, and there's another, uh, the New York Times did an article, you know, promoting the fourth season. And they were talking about a joke that I think ultimately didn't make it into the episode where she's looking at the the, di- the diagram that comes in the tampon box. Uh, and she's going, okay, so I just slide it up past my leg and into my light bulb shaped space. Like, you know, because those diagrams are so stupid and useless. Um, yeah, it's really authentic uh, for basically, uh, you know, any uh, the experience of almost anybody who menstruates. Uh, and, or has a period. I can't believe I just said menstruates in earnest. Um, (laughs) but it's, we shouldn't be so surprised to see it, but it's, it's exciting to see it because yeah, we've all been conditioned with, you know, 40 years of blue fluid advertising. Yeah. So that was Friday. Those episodes dropped. And then on Saturday, um, on Saturday Night Live, the first sketch after the monologue was um, kind of a repeat idea. They did it before. Yeah, it was a repeat. They did it with Adam Driver, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it's about, you know, a girl sleepover. Then the dad comes downstairs and he has to have the uncomfortable conversation uh, about you know, which girl was upstairs and stained the couch. Had her period all over the couch and so forth. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, SNL plays it, you know, to be, it, the, the, the humor is not in, oh my God, a girl had her period, but in sort of the, uh, the awkwardness of the dad and the utter, I don't give a fuck of the Kate McKinnon character. So it's not like they're mocking the period, but, and, you know, not everybody will have watched those two pieces in sequence the way I did, but it just seemed like SNL was so like clumsy and regressive and backward, not to mention repetitive relative to what big mouth had just done. So like skillfully and, and note perfect and funny, but also poignant and all those kinds of things. So I think that's what I had wanted to say first. And then I was like, well, this is a zeitgeisty moment, I guess. Like we're finally talking about tween girl periods and the like utter, like you're actually hemorrhaging out in the world while you walk around. And that is hard to get adjusted to at first uh, when that's first happening to you, which is why it's fun to see tween characters in this situation. But I mean, is this all just net positive? Should I even be worrying about one is better than the other? Uh, I mean, I, I obviously, I think that there, I don't know that you can compare simply because like doing something on Netflix is not going to be, not going to come with the limitations of doing something on network television. Absolutely. SNL is on broadcast, uh, you know, animated character. You're not going to show like human genitals the way you will show animated genitals that talk, et cetera. Yeah. It's apples and elephants for sure. But I do like the target market of both. There is a Venn diagram target market between Big Mouth and SNL. Um, You can talk periods all you want and period liberty on fucking Gilmore Girls, but it's totally different, I think, to do it for a Big Mouth audience and also for an SNL audience. And SL on, first of all, both audiences aren't guaranteed skewed heavily female. I would argue that there is a, a very, very healthy male viewership for both Big Mouth and for Saturday Night Live. Oh, I, I would say it's probably majority uh, male or majority not female. I would say that's the assumption. Yeah. And then I would also argue that of that male audience, it's not your... Um, you know, it is a certain section of elite media or elite consumer. You're not talking to the people who stormed the state house in Michigan, um, the Saturday Night Live fan or the Big Mouth fan. You're talking to that 
the dude who thinks he's a little bit more woke, who thinks he's pretty liberal, who thinks he, you know, knows about the things and reads. And in a way, you are challenging that viewer like, oh, you know what? You still have some frontiers, eight, for example, like eight or nine to cross before you can call yourself a true whatever. Well, that's so interesting because is that what you like? Is that what you think it's for or from? Um, And I don't necessarily disagree, but like, do you think that's where the comedy lies in like, let's make dudes uncomfortable? I think the comedy, one of the, one of the areas where particularly SNL, where it lies is I think it's more about talking to the people who think they're already there. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's, I buy that for sure. I, I sort of saw it in a different way, which is that, you know, if you think that like the idea with SNL is, uh, you don't watch it a lot in your twenties because you're too cool because you're out on Saturday nights, right? Like present era, notwithstanding. Um, and so I was marveling at the fact that I was so delighted with these characterizations of, you know, 12 and 13 year old girls. Like I'm a grown ass woman and I'm still like, they talked about a thing that I know, um, that it's almost the, you know, it's the female writer's revenge of, yeah, we're finally going to fucking talk about this shit. The, the, the liberating, uh, open secret of it is what made it exciting for me as opposed to the let's challenge some, you know, some woke dudes to see how woke. Uh, but I, either way, I just couldn't stop thinking this is a net positive, right? We're just getting to a place where we talk about humans and the bodies that humans have and how they work. Um, and, uh, you know, and both are like, probably one one hundredth of SNL's audience will actually see Big Mouth, right? So it, it's, it doesn't have as wide a reach, uh, which makes sense, you know, that like, yeah, you are going to be a little broader on your broadcast. But I, but I found it kind of revolutionary and exciting. No, and I think it's a really great space. Like as we, this is interesting timing too, because in a couple weeks, Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman starring Carrie Mulligan is coming out. Right. And it's obvious, we're talking about totally different themes here. You know, our period conversation with SNL and with Big Mouth is about, yeah, let's make, you know, fucking woman's periods comedy and put it out there and have it gushy and whatnot. And Promising Young Woman, if you've seen the trailers, is part revenge fantasy. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. But I will say that the audience to which I think, to me, Big Mouth and SNL are speaking to, it intersects, again, I keep using that word on this episode, intersects with the audience that I think is going to have some thinking to do. Oh, yeah, I I buy that. But I guess what I think is, like, I hear that, but I, I react to it differently. I don't care. I, I'm sort of past caring if people who don't know that these worlds exist watch it and learn shit. Um, or I'm just happy to be like, yeah, we're talking about our shit. And people who uh, who get on board or not, I, I'm, I think there's something about it that to me uh, just makes me feel giddy and delighted that we, we have our own thing. Um, that we're running along with as opposed to uh, the education that it will provide. Although it's, it's going to be both necessarily by, by the nature of the topics that we're talking about. Uh, and if you want to link here, by the way, Emerald Fennell, if you don't know, is also playing uh, Camilla Parker Bowles on uh, The Crown. Uh, and Camilla Parker Bowles, of course, uh, has... Um, you know, uh, is well-versed with tampon, uh, discussions. <laughs> uh, that, and I'm pretty sure there was some tampon joking in, uh, Killing Eve. Maybe season two. 
I, I, I believe distinctly remember a tampon something in Killing Eve. I believe. And Emerald Fennell, of course, is the showrunner for Killing season Eve. Season two and three of Killing Eve. Yes. Um, she she gets she gets around, guys. She's doing a lot of shit. Um, all right. Well, listen, uh, more more bleeding for all. Uh, do watch Big Mouth if you haven't. You told me that this is a project that you have yet to undertake. Yeah, I mean, Yasik and I are going to probably do it. Probably tonight we're going to do some Big Mouth. But um, I would like to, like, burn through holiday watching um, with him and Big Mouth isn't on it. It is one of those shows that has, like, more and more gifts the more you go. Uh, And... uh, you know, if we haven't had enough big mouth love on this show up to now, hit us up. Tell us if you are as devoted a fan. All right. Enjoy big mouth, everybody. Um, and let us know your thoughts on Mariah Carey. Let us know your thoughts on your period, tampons, big mouth, Saturday Night Live, Promising Young Woman. You have to watch it. It'll be available on screaming. Uh, screaming. It'll be available on streaming in a couple weeks. Uh, we definitely should talk about it. In the new oh, year. Oh, yeah. We might have to go old school and watch it together apart um, so that we can scream about it later on. Um, as usual, though, thank you for listening. Thank you for writing to us. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave comments and reviews. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next time uh, for the last episode of 2020. Uh, so don't miss that and your emails and uh, probably some other conspiracy theories by then. Work hard. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.